Glory to God. Well, as Ethel mentioned, we had a lot of folks, a lot of prayer requests going on. And uh, that's all right. We're up to it. <laughs> Sometimes we see things that are going wrong and we wonder, what did I do that messed up? Didn't mean you messed up at all. <laughs> Just means stuff's going on. Stuff's coming in your way. But you're ready for it. You're ready for it. You got yourself ready by listening to the Word, digging into the Word, getting the Word as a good foothold on, the end, on your life, and you've been meditating on it. So you're ready for whatever the devil wants to throw your way or the world wants to throw your way. You just you tell him, bring it on, devil. Bring it on. <laughs> I'm not giving in. I'm not giving in. We got some more things to get on that here today. Just to catch you up on it, Lothar was put in the hospital. Uh, was it Thursday night? And he was still there on Friday. I was up there to see him. Did he go home yesterday? Are we still there? All right, they're still rehydrating him and doing some tests and things like that. But he was looking much better. When I was over there on, on Friday, Marilyn's going to be coming home tomorrow from, um, uh, for her rehab. So that's going on. Jolly was in an accident on Friday night. Came through that uh, with some bumps and bruises and things like that. But glory to God, he, he's, he's doing much better than his car. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's always good. You know, anybody can worship God when things are going good. It takes a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to praise God and give Him glory when things have been hard. And you guys are up to it. So we thank God for that. We're going to be over in, in a number of places, uh, Exodus and Luke mostly today. But there were three contractors who were on tour at the White House because the White House was in need of a new fence. And so one guy was uh, from Maryland, one guy was from De Delaware, and another one was, was a local contractor right from Washington, D.C. And so the guy from Maryland, he said, well, I can do this this job for about $900 just to repair the fence that was there. He said, you know, about uh, uh, $450, dollars $400 for the materials, about $400 would pay the guys to do the labor, and about $100 profit for me. So the, the guy from Delaware, he said, well, I can do it for about $700, about $350 for the materials, $350 to pay the people that I'd hire, and $100 profit for me. Well, the guy who was local in Washington, D.C., uh, he didn't do it like the other two did. The other two came out and they had all their measuring tape and they had their calculators and they had figured it all out. And it took them a little bit of time. Someone took, you know, took a little time to spend on this to figure out exactly how much it would cost. All he did was he whispered over to the ear of the guy who was collecting the estimates and he said $2,700. And he looked at him and he just kind of shocked. He said, $2,700? You didn't measure anything? You didn't calculate anything? You didn't look at anything? How do you come up with such a high number, $2,700? He said, it's easy. $1,000 profit for me, $1,000 profit for you, and for $700, we'll hire the guy from Delaware. <laughs> oh, my. Well, we're talking about God's measuring stick today. How He measures things. How He comes up with the, the things that He does. The uh, last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the suffering aspect of, of our topic here, whether we're being steady, whether we're being stubborn. We looked at how the difference between the pressure from God to correct us is different from the pressure of the world to conform. There is pressure from God to correct, but there is pressure from the world to conform. We need to discern the difference and respond to one and not the other. We need to respond to God's correction quickly, and we need to resist conformity on a continual basis. 1 Peter 5, verse 10 says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. 
Glory to God, we're going to be doing some suffering. But we've got to make sure it's the right kind of suffering. Because sometimes people are suffering for the wrong things. And that's why we spend some time looking at what kind of suffering we were supposed to do. But we're going to look at three guys and some of the ways that God measured these three guys. And uh, I know you're familiar with all three of them. But you may not be familiar with all the things that are going on in their lives. Exodus chapter 24. Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. How many times have you ever heard people say, yeah, 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 we'll do that. And a week later, they're doing something different. They're not used to suffering. They're not used to staying in a place and feeling pressure to conform. And they just, uh, they just, you know, do whatever. You know, there's some people who say, I'll get that done. I'll do that. Or, yeah, I'll be there for that. And you know, they will be. And other people, you say, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> Why? Because you've got a history with them. You've seen some things that they've done or haven't done before. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood and he sprinkled it on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. Boy, that sounds good, doesn't it? And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw God of Israel and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank. And the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain. And be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. There are four major players we're looking at in this story. Three are the ones that are going to be focused on. Obviously, Moses. Anytime you read any of the first five books, Moses is there. <laughs> he's just, he's a prominent, well, not so much in Genesis, but he's just a prominent figure, uh, and rightfully so. But from there we have Aaron, we have Joshua, and we have Hur. How many have ever heard of them before? No, not Ben-Hur. <laughs> this is a different, a different one. We're going to look at these three guys here. When Moses was sent to Egypt, who was his assistant. When Moses was sent to Egypt, who was his assistant? Aaron. Remember, he was arguing with Moses or arguing with God at the, at the bush and God said, I'm sending Aaron to you and he'll be your voice. So God assigned who as his assistant? Aaron. Who is his assistant now? Isn't that interesting? Aaron is not called his assistant, is it? Joshua is. So who was his assistant when he was sent from Egypt? It was Aaron. Who is it now? Joshua. 
And who is the other name that comes up? Her. We're looking at how God measures this and we're going to look at how God measured these, these three. In Luke chapter 16, we're going to come back to Exodus in a minute. Remember last, last week we told you this is a big one. This, this is a big one. Most people don't get this. Most people have not gone through this school. Most people have not, certainly not graduated. Most people don't even know this school exists. And if it does, they turn it away. What we're going to show you here today is from the Word of God. And so we're going to be over the next couple of weeks. This is the biggest thing you need to learn in your life. This is huge. Some people learn this early on. Some people have yet to learn it. And some people don't count this as important at all. But if God measures you by a certain measuring stick, how many of y'all know you better know what that measuring stick is? You better know how it is measured. Because if you're not using God's measuring stick and you measure yourself, remember the story, I think we told it here uh, some time ago, the little boy came to his mom and said to his mom, Mom, I'm nine feet tall. (laughs) Well, he didn't use the right measuring stick. He took his shoe off, he said, that's a foot, and he measured him by by his shoe and found out he was nine feet tall. No. You may think you're nine feet tall using your measuring stick, but God doesn't see you that way, maybe. You've got to find out what his measuring stick is. So Luke chapter 16, verse 10. The whole passage here is good, and we'll probably get into more of the whole passage later on. But I want to focus on these few verses. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. How many of you agree with it? I want to, let, I want to cue you in on something. If you do not agree with this, it doesn't matter. Because what God said goes. I don't care if you think it's right. I don't care if you think it's wrong. It's what God said. What God said is this. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. Now, I know there's a whole lot of Christians out there who don't believe this. They believe when God gives me something substantial, he'll see how faithful I am. And God says, uh-uh. <laughs> You'd be faithful to that little bit of stuff over there. And then we'll see. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. What God is saying, I'm measuring you this way. The exact same faithfulness I see out of you for the things that are little is the exact same faithfulness I know you are with what is much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. This also means if you are unjust with God with a hundred dollars, you will be unjust with God with a thousand. Amen, anyway. Therefore, if you have not been faithful and unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you your trust the true riches? In other words, if you can't even be faithful with money, who's going to give you what is really valuable? In other words... When you are looking at things that are least and things that are much, what God is telling you is money is not on the much. Money is on the least. So how you are faithful with, that's why he brings it up, mammon, how you are faithful with money is how you will be faithful with the greater riches. But money is not it to God. This is the guy who paves his streets with gold, makes his gates out of pearls, And who does not give rooms to its residents, but mansions. You think he's concerned about money? 
And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? There's two measuring sticks here. One, if you are faithful with what is least, you will be faithful in what is much. And if you are faithful with what belongs or what has been given to another, then someone will give you what is your own. Now, this is huge because most Christians never learn this lesson. If you do not learn how to be faithful with something that has been given to someone else, God will not give you what is your own. Boy, it got quiet. (laughs) Is that not what he's teaching? Is this not Jesus? Is this not what he's teaching? He says, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. What he's saying there is this. When you are under another person's ministry, when you are given something that is least and you do not do with it what the master wants, or the one who owns that, or the one who possesses that, if you do not do with that what they want, then you are serving a different master. And you have been exposed at the lower level. If we expose you at the lower level as having two masters, who will give you what is really valuable? Can you understand that? I put this in your outline for you. What you do with what is of lesser value is also what you will do in what is of greater value. What you do with what is of lesser value is what you're going to do with what is of greater value. What you do with what is another's is also what you will do with what is your own. That's what you're going to do. What does God consider to be of great value? Now, it's not money. We already saw that. It's not things or possessions. He's got plenty of those. What God considers to be of great value, when we go through the Word of God, we'll find out. You can probably make a list longer than this, but I'll give you a few things. First off, revelation. Understanding. Wisdom. And people. People. God considers people to be of great value. Remember when Jesus was talking about the treasure in the field? About the pearl of great price? What do they represent? People. When he sent his son, he sent his son to buy people. Does he consider them of great value? Yeah. These are the things that God considers of great value. Folks, you won't get them until you show you can be faithful with a little. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. What does that mean? Paul said, God has entrusted us with revelation, with understanding, with wisdom, the mysteries of God. He has entrusted, we have become stewards of them because it's something that God considers to be valuable. He goes down in verse 7, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it. How many times do we have things that are of lesser value that we boast as if we gained them? When what you have is what you received. See the difference in attitude? 
That's what you need to have. All right. One more thing. Daniel chapter 5. Then the, uh, verse 24. Talking about Belshazzar. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, from God, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, upharsin. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. What's he saying? You've been measured. You came up short. You've been measured by the measurement with which God measures and you have come up short. If you want to really get into this, go back to look at Belshazzar and look at where he came up short. Look at what he did. Did he honor the revelation and wisdom and such from God? He disdained it. He even put Daniel away. Daniel wasn't doing much of anything in the kingdom anymore. What about people? Finally, he said, Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Let's take a look at Aaron here. Exodus chapter 32. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, he went up on the mountain to uh, get the tablets. The people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool. What did he do with it? He fashioned it with what? An engraving tool. This is the skill that he had. And made a molded calf. Now, I don't know about you. How many of you could, if, you were, if I gave you a bunch of gold, if we all collected all of our gold and we gave it to you, how many of you could make a molded calf out of it? I know not me. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. That's not something that I could do. I mean, I could maybe melt the stuff down. You could, you could get it done? All right. Nass can get it done. We'll all give our gold to him. <laughs> But me, no, I can't do that. I, I can, maybe I can melt the gold, but I don't even know if I can melt the gold. I'm not, uh, not into that sort of thing, but Aaron was able to do that. This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose early the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. <laughs> that was not good playtime today. <laughs> well, we're going down to verse 7 and we find out uh, in, in chapter 32. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt all by yourself. <laughs> have corrupted themselves. <laughs> they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. And they have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed is a stiff-necked people. In other words, they are resistant to the correction that God would give, and yield easily to the pressure to conform. I have seen this people, and indeed is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Now, I don't know how, what kind of a picture you get from this, but when I study this and I try and get the picture of this, I kind of get the picture of, you know, one of those movies when the guy is 
upset with another guy and he goes after him. But he goes after him in such a way as to go through someone else so that they have the opportunity to stop them. You ever seen that in the movies? You know, and then that guy, you know, he stops them. And he, he lets them stop him. And, and he didn't really want to go after it. the guy. He just wanted to give the appearance that he did. I don't know if I'm Moses. I'm kind of thinking that God's kind of giving you a clue here. Now, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them. <laughs> He's kind of saying, all right, no, hold me back. Hold me back. And so Moses does. Jump on down to verse 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? Who does Moses hold accountable for this? So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. In other words, it's the people's fault. For they said to me, Make us gods, that we shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know where he is be- what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. Now, is that a little bit different from the other rendition? There's no engraving tool involved. There's no skill involved. It's just, you know, we go there, bang, just there it was. Wow, I mean, it was a miracle. You should have seen it, Moses. It was awesome. Now, when Moses saw the people, that they were unrestrained for who? Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Who does he blame for this? Who does he point the finger at? Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi, Levi gathered together, gathered themselves together to him. And you all know the story from there, how Levi was chosen to be the, the priest and so forth. So you look at these things that Aaron's saying. I summed them up here for you in your outline. You know the people that they are set on evil? For they said to me, <laughs> and I said to them, Give me your gold. And I cast it into the fire and bang, out came this calf. <laughs> Now, he put a quote in your bulletin. How many have already read the quote in the bulletin? Uh-huh. I poll people every once in a while, you know, what do you like about the bulletin? And, you know, most people talk about the comic and the quote. That's all right. How'd you like, did you like the comic today? I love that comic today. I thought that was phenomenal. <laughs> I saw that. So, oh, this is going to be a good one. If you didn't read it yet, don't read it now. <laughs> just, just which one are you going to honor more, the Word of God or a comic in the bulletin? It's up to you. You can honor whichever one you choose. I'm not watching, but God is. Just letting you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm listening to, to different sermons and things, I write down some of the things that people say, and most of those uh, end up in your, in your bulletin. And uh, Pastor Joel Sims said this, Pride makes excuses, 
Humility makes adjustments. Wow, I'll tell you what, I heard that said, oh man, that's good. <laughs> that is good. Pride makes excuses. Humility makes adjustments. When you are filled with pride, you make excuses. You are resistant to the God correcting you. But you are very easy to conform to the pressures of the world. When you have humility, you make adjustments. What was Aaron given? Aaron was first off, he was given the role of being Moses' assistant. But we see that fairly early on, that role left him. And Joshua took over. Why? Do you think this is the first time Aaron let Moses down? I don't think it was. We'll have to wait till we get to heaven to find out because we don't hear a whole lot about it. But either Aaron let him down before or Aaron just was not as diligent as Joshua. And Joshua just soared ahead. With those things, whatever he gave him, he was, he was there to get it done. And Aaron didn't. And when Moses went up on the mountain, he said, Aaron, you're here to watch over these people. If they have any problem, they can't come up to the mountain to get me. They need to come over here and get you. So the people had a problem and they came over to Aaron. And Aaron allowed them to go in the wrong way. Measured by the stick, of the Lord, how did Aaron come up? Came up short, didn't he? God had given him some things and he didn't treat them as precious. God, Moses had given him the commands that he treat the commands of God as precious. No, he let the people wander away from it. They were unrestrained. The Word of God tells us that he did not restrain them. Here's our next guy. Her. Isn't it odd how many people did Moses put in charge when he went up on the mountain? Aaron and her. And yet there's not a thing said about her. Does that strike you as odd? Why are we pointing the finger at Aaron? In Exodus chapter 17 and verse 12, we see her show up in the scene. When Moses' hands became heavy, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it and Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side and his hands were steady until they're going down to the sun so they continued to keep keep winning. And they kept uh, going in victory. Uh, in Exodus 24, 14, and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you, speaking about Joshua and him, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go with them. So why does he not share the blame with Aaron? Now, first off, I want to explain to you who her is. And we have two accounts of who her is. One is that her is the husband of Miriam. That is from Josephus. He tells us that her is the husband of Miriam. Another account tells us that her was the son of Miriam. Well, he's one or the other. But you, you can kind of see that the people that are closest to Moses are kind of people that are close to him in relation-wise. You know, and we've experienced that here in this country. How many times I've heard before, uh, I think uh, Europe was accusing us. He said, we thought you were a two-party country. It seems like you're a two-family country because everything that seemed to be happening happened outside the Bushes or the Clintons. <laughs> I mean, we either had a Bush president or a Clinton president and then a Clinton running for president. So... <laughs> They were thinking it was uh, it was kind of along that way, but it seemed like you know it, certain families get into the political circle, and it just seems to go around that family. It was happening back here too. Her was one or the other. I would I tend to lean more on Josephus than 
than the rest of them. But either way, he was either married to Moses' sister or he was the son of of uh, Moses of Miriam. Now, what happened from we have that Aaron and her are left in charge of the whole nation while Moses goes up with Joshua. Her was a prominent one. Two people held up his arms. One was Aaron, one was her. This guy is in a prominent position. From this point on in the word of God, the only mention we ever have of her is when it's talking about his sons. He is never mentioned in scripture again. So what happened to her? Well, we go back to the historians and the the Jewish rabbis and the things they pass on. This is what they tell us happened to her. That during the revolt and during the time when they were making the golden calf, the people rose up and killed her. He tried to prevent them from making the golden calf and the people killed her. The killing of her intimidated Aaron so much that he complied and went along with their wishes. How many of you didn't know that? So when Moses comes down from the mountain, he doesn't apparently look to blame her because her died. (laughs) Trying to do the right thing. And no more do we hear about him. But we do hear about his son. In um, Exodus chapter 31, grandson, I'm sorry. In Exodus chapter 31, verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of her of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting and carving wood and to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, indeed, I have appointed him uh, with him, Aholiab, the son of Ahishamach of the tribe of Dan. And I have put wisdom in his heart of all who are grifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you. So as a reward, it seems, for her standing up for the things of God, his grandson is one of the ones, the head guy on the team to make the things for the tabernacle. Quite an honor. So we have her, and if the things that we know in history are are correct, how did her measure up? Pretty well. (laughs) He measured up pretty good. He died, but he measured up pretty well. Then we have Joshua, Exodus chapter... 32, we're going to see some of the things in there. But first, back to Exodus 17, verse 9. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. In verse 13, So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. And I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Joshua is taken from a place of being a slave in Egypt to commander and chief of the army. I don't know what kind of training he had in Egypt. He, maybe he was, of all the people, of all the slaves, maybe he had the most qualifications. We don't know exactly what it was. Maybe there was anointing that came on him. Maybe God said, this is the guy I picked. We don't know what it was, but Joshua is put in charge of the army and he does a doggone good job. He is really well. He does really well at this. He leads them out into this big campaign. People who have never really fought before and they win. 
And the Lord have, the hand of the Lord was with him and helping him. But Joshua had to take what he had and use it. As we already read for you in Exodus 24 and verse 13, he's called the assistant of Moses. So we wonder, why has he been elevated to this, to this spot? In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, the young man did not depart from the tabernacle. So from all the things we know about Joshua, we're trying to put together some things about how would God be measuring this one. When Moses went up on the mountain, Joshua is called his assistant and Moses had a little spot where they camped from and then Moses would leave there and go up and speak with God and then come back and then go up and speak with God and and Joshua was left there and he was to be there to be, to be the assistant for Moses. But Joshua was commander of the army. And when Moses comes down, after God says, go on down, they've messed up, they've made this, this whole thing going on, get on down there. Joshua is still waiting for Moses. But he's the commander of the army. Now when he comes down, Joshua tells Moses what he's thinking. I'm sitting over here, I'm listening to the sound, and it sounds like there's war in the camp. What's Joshua's responsibility? The army. You want to talk about suffering, folks. Joshua is going through some suffering while Moses is up there in the cloud. Because he's down there, he can hear what's going on. Moses apparently cannot. But he can hear what's going on. The whole time he's hearing, they are in a battle, and I'm up here. I'm supposed to be down there. If they're in a battle, I should be down there helping them. But I'm up here. I'm supposed to be assisting Moses. I'm supposed to wait for him until he comes down. But they need me down there. But I'm up here. Now, he's not concerned about his own needs. He's concerned about the people's needs. But I'm also supposed to be over here helping Moses. And so what he does is he waits. He stays still. Remember we looked at Saul? What was Saul supposed to do? And what did he do? <laughs> he waited, but not long enough. And he decided to go down, and as soon as he got, went on down and sacrificed, then Samuel came on up. But Joshua waited the whole time. When Moses finally makes his appearance, he's, oh, come on, we need to get down there, we need to get down there. Sound of wars in the camp. And Moses says, no, it's not. The sound of singing and dancing, that's what you hear. And so they, they head on down. But that was a difficult thing for him to do. But he did it. Now here's the other thing. He's Moses' assistant. He went out to the tabernacle with Moses. And when Moses left the tabernacle, Joshua was supposed to stay. Look at the verse of Scripture again. And he would return to the camp. Moses would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Because that's what his assignment was. At this point, his assignment is stay here. Whatever assignment you gave to Joshua, Joshua did it. If you told Joshua, wait here, Joshua waited. If you told Joshua, go out to battle, Joshua went out to battle. Whatever you told Joshua to do, he did it. Who is he the assistant to? Then he does what Moses Asks him to do. Whether he likes it. Or not. And just in the few examples of things that we have. We can show you some things. Joshua probably did not like 
waiting up on the mountain. He was a go-getter. He probably would not have picked the job of waiting at the tabernacle for whatever purpose he was supposed to accomplish there. But he did it because he was asked by the one he was the assistant to. One of the hardest things as a lesson to learn is what Joshua is learning right here. Be Moses' assistant. Whatever he needs, you do it. Whatever he asks you, you do it. Brother Keith Moore would tell us stories. And I, you can hardly go through a couple of uh, um, sermons of his without him talking about when he went down to Ramah, God spoke to him and just got kind of witness to him that uh, you are to be, you are to help Brother Hagin. That was it. That was his assignment. Help Brother Hagin. Three words. <laughs> help Brother Hagin. And so he continued to do that and he, did, he didn't know what to do. So he just went on in there and showed up, you know, when they talked about healing school and starting that up. And so he went over there and he just, you know, moved chairs and set up things and held stuff. And, and eventually they started asking him to do other different things. But whatever, he just did the least, the small, whatever was there. He just, he just hung out. Whatever you need, I'm here to do it. And he just did that. And pretty soon they began to ask him more and more things. After a while, Brother Hagin said, I need you to come on the road with me. So what did he do? He went on the road with him. I need you to do this. And whatever he needed to do, Brother Keith was there and did it for years. Years and years and years. After I think about 15 years, something like that, uh, he left Ramah and he went off and, and was doing his own uh, touring around on his own ministries. And something came up on the spirit when he was over at uh, some place, you know, ministering somewhere. He said, you know, the Lord spoke and speaking this to him. You know, I never told you you were done helping Brother Hagin. He said, no, you never did. <laughs> and so he said, I immediately picked up the phone and called Brother Hagin and said, do you need help? Well, yeah, sure. If you, if you can, come on out. We're going to be over here. And so they got, he had his own plane, got in his plane, paid his own fuel, went on up, flew over there and helped him out in the meeting. And he said, there were times that Brother Higgins said, yeah, if you can, you know, we can use some help over here. He said it was inconvenient. It was not the easiest thing to do, but what was the assignment? Help Brother Hagin. He hadn't been released from that. So he continued to do it while he was doing all the other things. See, he was learning. Be faithful in what is another's in order to be given what is your own. This is the hardest thing for Christians to learn. Because how many of you have ever had a boss that you agreed with everything they did 100%? Nobody? <laughs> no. I mean, come on, we've always got bosses and we always know that there's a better way to have done it than with the way that they chose or the way that they're going about doing things. I didn't learn this lesson in my life right away. I, it took me a little while to learn it. I made, up, I made some mistakes. I spoke some things against some bosses I had. That's my fault. That's not their fault. That was my fault. I had to get that fixed and make the adjustment. It, I, if I made the adjustment sooner, it would have been better. But I didn't. I told you the story. The day I can still remember the day that this dawned on me and the day I made the adjustment and made sure I never had to make the adjustment again was when I was working over there at Kelsner's Horseradish. I was serving in a church and working over at Kelsner's Horseradish and it was, I think I told you this story before, but we constantly ran out of product. 
or it was our job to sell stuff and we kept running out of this spice or this thing or I go over to the production manager and the production manager, I don't have any PCPs for you because we don't have any lids or we don't have any cups or we're missing this or we're low on the cocktail sauce or we're low on this because we don't have this product or this product and we're always just low on things. Well, the boss ordered everything. He ordered it all. And there was one time I was in there. I remember the day. I can remember. I can, I can remember it so well. I can remember what I was wearing. And I was sitting in there and I was talking to the other driver, a driver who came on after me, a driver that I had trained up to, to do some of the local routes that I used to do. And I was talking to him and I was frustrated. Anybody ever been frustrated at work before? I was frustrated. And I was speaking to him my frustration and I let my frustration come out my mouth. And I said, how are we supposed to sell stuff when we don't have it? I got customers that want this. If they don't have it, they can't get it from me. They're going to buy it from someone else. Um, we're trying to establish this, this route, get these things going on, and we don't have the product. The people have to be able to rely on us in order for us to be able And I'm just going off and talking about all this stuff. And don't you know who came up to the truck? My boss. And I felt about this big. I was wrong. I may have been right in what I was saying, but I was wrong. And the Lord straightened me up right there. You are wrong. I repented first off to God. I began to see in my past how I messed up on things. And so we began to, to, to put together a way that we could do this. And for the, as long as he had run this company, he had always done all the orders. Always had done all the orders. And I talked to him about, you know, can I help you with the orders and get, get us past some of these things so that no one's frustrated? And he says, well, if you did that, you don't know what the money flow is like. I'm really the only one in touch with the money flow. And, you know, you may need a big order, but I may not have the money for that order at that time. I said, I can understand that. That would be a problem. I said, hey, but if I just make up the order and you look it over. And if it looks good, you put it in. So we did that one time. Maybe twice. I think we did it once or twice. And after a while, he said, you know what? You got this down. Go ahead. You just call the order in. From that point on, I made all the orders for all the dry product, all the stuff that we sold. And he just let me go with it. But it had a cascading effect because pretty soon he, he'd call the production manager and he says, I want you to make all the orders for all the stuff that you need. If you need lids, if you need PCPs, if you need cups, whatever it is you need, you put the order in. I don't have to, you don't have to go through me anymore. The production manager came up to me and says, you changed the way this company operates. And he said, well, we won't be out of this stuff again. And we got some things fixed up. But I was wrong. Now, if it, I, I may have thrown this thing out, but if he didn't want to go along with it, would I be right going around complaining about it? No. I learned that lesson. <laughs> nope. Can't do that. I've got to be faithful with what belongs to someone else. From that point on, I never spoke bad about my boss again. As far as anyone was concerned, he was the best boss in the world. I made sure I never spoke evil of him, never spoke poorly about him, never said anything about the things that he did. I learned my lesson. If I am not faithful with what is in others, God will not put in my hand what is mine. I applied that in the places I was at, in the places I served in churches, because you know I've served under pastors who didn't do things the way I believed, who didn't teach things the way I saw them in the Word of God. But what I had to learn was they're doing things according to their convictions or according to what the overall scheme of things that God is showing them. And I had to rely on that and trust that and come to a place where I learned 
I'm not going to second, uh, second guess them. I will trust them. That changed me from that, that day. I still remember that because that, that changed my life. And I learned, no, I need to make sure that I'm faithful with those that I serve under. Whatever boss I have, I've got to make sure I'm faithful. I speak well of that boss. Even though they do some things, come on, you know bosses. <laughs> they don't always tell you why they're doing something or whatever. You get frustrated real easy. No, I'm not going to let that frustration come on. I will do what I can with what I have. And I will make sure I guard my mouth and the things that I say. Because if I am faithful with what is in others, God will give me what is mine. This is a lesson that many Christians never learn. This is unfortunate. Because it's huge. What God is teaching us in the Word of God is, you will never get a ministry of your own unless you are faithful with someone else in theirs. Now, there's some exceptions to that and we're going to go over that. But here's what we see of Joshua. He can follow instructions and he knows how to wait. I tell you what, Christians, if we can just get those, those two things down. Follow instructions and learn how to wait. You'd be doing a whole lot better. A whole lot better. First Peter 5 and verse 12. But Silvanus, Silas, as you know him, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Our faithful brother, as I consider him. Paul considered Silas a faithful brother. Why? Because Silas came along to assist him and to help him. And no matter what they went through, Silas was right there. When they were beaten and put in prison, the Word of God tells us that Paul and sang praises at midnight to God and the prisoners heard them. Paul's... Paul's not in there singing by himself. Silas is singing with him. How many of you, if you were Silas, are saying, Paul, I told you we shouldn't go here. Just because you had some dream in the middle of the night doesn't mean we should both go on here. This is obviously not God. Come on, how many of us could be doing that sort of stuff? Silas, don't do it. <laughs> no, nope, we're in there singing and praising God. Paul, if, you, if God told you to come here, I'm here with you. <laughs> I don't care if we die. I'm here with you. That's the man who learned. And, and Paul said, I consider him a faithful brother. That's a good thing to hear. Now, as with anything, this is in your outline, there are people who are given things of great value. This is real important as you understand this. Because this is where you see some people get in trouble. As with anything, there are people who are given things of great value. Great value to who? To God. That God will give things that He considers to be of great value and He will put them in people's hands because they've shown to be faithful in what is of lesser value. And those who take them, there are people who are given things of great value and those who take them. The children of Israel, are they considered to be of great value to God? Saul was given the kingdom. David was given the kingdom. Did Absalom ever reign over Israel? Why did he reign? And he did. 
He took the throne, didn't he? Why did he take the throne? It was not given to him, was it? It was taken. He took it. He usurped it. There are other people in the Word of God that have come and they usurped the throne too. The one queen who took over the northern tribes of Israel for a while, she killed all the sons who would have been heirs, but she missed one. And he was raised up until the day that he would be able to take it over himself. She stole it. Does she still have it? Yeah, but God didn't give it to her. When David was going through and had opportunity to kill Saul, he had opportunity to take the kingdom. And what does David say? Uh-uh. I'm not going to take it. It's for God to give it to me. It's not for me to take. See, there's a difference. A person who knows how to be faithful in what is another's is also respectful that God gives it. It is not taken. And those are the people that God honors. As with anything, there are people who are given things of great value and those who take them. Don't be among those who take them. Yeah, but I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And I haven't been given anything. So I, I think I just need to, you know, honor that scripture that says the Lord helps those who help themselves. Yeah, that's not scripture, but <laughs> there are people who go around and quote it like it is. Here's four things for you. First off, treat everything given to you as if it was great. Treat everything given to you as if it was great. Whatever it is that has been given to you, treat it as though it was spectacular. Out of this world. Great. If someone gives you a suit of clothes, don't treat it as, oh, what is that? No, treat it as something great. God blesses you with a car. Treat it as something great. If God gives you a house, treat it as something spectacular. But you see, what happens a lot of times is we have been given some things, maybe not given houses, but given the opportunity to own a house. And, and what do we say about that house? Oh, this old house, man, I hate this thing. Everything's always breaking. Oh, this old car, I hate this car. This car's no good. This car's always breaking down on me. This car's eating gas. I hate this car. What are we doing? God has given us a spouse. How are you treating that spouse? Are you treating it as something great or are you treating it as something common? What are you saying about that spouse? Well, you don't know who my spouse is. If you knew, you wouldn't. I don't care who your spouse is. <laughs> I'm saying, what are you saying about it? Because what you say about it is telling you how you treat it, how, how you how you look on it. Do you see it as something great? When God gives you revelation, understanding, wisdom, what do you, how do you look on that? Yeah, I'll get to that. I'll eventually, yeah, I'll, yeah I should listen to that again. I'll, I, I'll get to it. Uh-uh. You're not one who's treated things with respectful. You need to retreat it as respectful. There are difference in, there are some people that you know you can put the word in them and it's just going to flourish. And you got other people you can put the word in them and tomorrow they've forgotten it because they don't treat it as anything special. They don't treat it as anything great. It's just, eh. I've told you the stories before, but when I was first learning things, principles of faith, I listened to the sermon over and over and over. In a day, I may listen to it two, three, four times. 
I'm driving around. I'm finding all kinds of opportunity. I'm running. I ran with a little tape player because that's all we had then is cassette players. And we had those little Walkman things. You put them on and play tapes and the earphones and the wires and all that. So I carried all that stuff with me. I'm going to hear this again. Listen to it in the car. I found a way in my driving around the truck to listen to this stuff. There are some things that got, I, I, there's more revelation here. I got to get this. And I would sit there and write out what the guy was saying. Verbatim. And then sit there and study it. And read it and read it and study it and read it. Until I got it down. Because I was going to treat it with honor. This is, this is something great. This is something special. This is something good. Treat everything given to you as if it was great. Everything. Don't take what hasn't been given. Adam with the fruit in the garden, what did they do? They took what was not given. David with the throne, I'm not going to take what isn't given. Don't take what hasn't been given. Wait for God. To, but God hasn't given it to me yet. It's all right. Learn to wait. Joshua waited. Joshua waited a lot of years before everything was given to him for head over the, the tribe. Don't take what hasn't been given. Number three, learn to follow instructions. Learn to follow instructions. In order to learn to follow instructions, you know what you've got to do with the instructions? Honor them. Treat them as great. How many of you have ever followed instructions and kind of halfway read them? And then after it didn't go together right, then you go back and you read them right and find out what you did wrong. And you got to take the whole thing apart and then put it all back together again. Learn to follow instructions and to wait. Tell you what, if you can learn to do these things, you're going to, get, you're going to graduate out of this class. Treat everything given to you as if it was great. Everything. Don't take what hasn't been given, learn to follow instructions even if you don't agree with them and to wait. Brother Keith would also be talking about some of these things on his state. People would always come up to him when he was uh, in, the, in the ministry, in the church that he was, he's now pastoring and they would have things for him to do. You know, if you, you need to sing different songs, you need to preach different messages, you need to, whatever it is, they're always telling them things to do, not to do, stuff like that. Change this, change that. And he said, you know what? I don't get to do the things that I want to do. Why would I do the things that you want to do? <laughs> That's an important lesson to learn. He had to do the things that God wanted to do. That's what you learn by, you, by serving under someone else. You learn to do what God says to do, not what you want to do. And that's an important lesson to learn. He says, if I don't get to do what I want to do, why am I going to do what you want to do? How many of y'all know when you're walking with God, you don't always get to do the things you want to do? Now, here's this one's real important for you to get. Because some of you might be sitting there and saying, well, I don't, I don't care if I ever get a ministry. I don't care if God ever gives anything to me. I'm, I'm okay. I don't really have that burden. I'm just happy to you know, go to work and serve here and do some things here. But not everyone makes it on to great things. Not everyone in the body of Christ makes it on to great things. But that does not mean that everyone isn't intended for them. Not everyone makes it on to great things. But it doesn't mean that everyone isn't intended for them the word of god paul teaches us he says in a great house there are vessels of gold and silver and vessels of clay and wood 
He said, purge yourself from the latter, the, the things in his list, the, the things of the flesh. Purge yourself from those things and you will make yourself into a vessel of gold and silver, a vessel of honor. You know what? We need to have the attitude that, Father God, I'm going to make myself into a vessel of honor. Whatever you choose to do with me after that is up to you. But I'm going to make myself into a vessel of honor. I'm going to do the things that you said to do. There's more to be learned on this because I hope you all get to the place where you see this and graduate. Some people in the Word of God graduated after a couple of years. Some people in the Word of God graduated after 40. <laughs> and some of the people who stayed in this the longest was not because they were missing God. Joshua stayed in this understudy role for how many years? 40 plus years he was in this role. And early on he showed himself to be excellent. And he never faltered from that. But you know what? Moses was doing okay. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with what Moses was doing. There was not a need for Joshua to take on that role. But when the need was there, Joshua was ready. He was ready for it. David was ready to take the throne when God was ready to put him in. There's a lot of people in the example that we can look at in the, in the Word of God. Some people succeeded. Some people failed. Some people learned a lesson. Some people did not. But it's imperative that we learn because if God is saying, this is the measuring stick, this is how I measure you. Faithful with what is least, you will be faithful with what is great. Faithful with what is in others, you will be faithful with what I give you as your own. This is God's measuring stick. This is how God measures us. If this is how He's measuring us, then we should fully understand what it is. Know who succeeded and who failed and how we can excel. Because the thing that holds so many Christians back from moving on is they don't understand the measuring stick. What is being faithful with what is least? What is being faithful in what is in others? How do I know if I'm being faithful? Because I'll bet you that every person here thinks I've been faithful with what is least. But you know whose opinion matters? It's not mine. I may stand before God and say, Oh God, I've been faithful. And God said, No, uh. Mm -mm. No, you know you think you are. But not in my book. But God, what are you looking for? How many of you want to know? What's God looking for? Because it doesn't necessarily mean that you're missing it. But you need to know. And if you don't know for sure what God is looking for, then how do you know for sure that you're doing it? You may think you are. Maybe you're being faithful as far as you ought to be, but Brother Hagen used to, he shared this story with us when he was laying on the bed, still sick, bed fast and all that sort of stuff. Um, and he, he was saying when he learned from the Word of God that through faith you can overcome anything, you can receive anything. And he said, he was talking to God about it. He says, God, if you were to show up right now in my room and tell me Kenneth, you're not in faith. I would call you a liar. Because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm in faith and that I believe. And if you were to, I, mean, I don't mean any disrespect to you say, but if you were to show up right here, I would tell you, that's not right. And up in his spirit, he said it came these words. He says, you believe as far as you know. 
boy, that set him on a whole new path. He says, oh, yeah. If you ever read his story, you know that set him on a whole new path. That put him on the path to finally get up from that bed and walk around and live until, what, he was 85, something like that. Even though he's supposed to be dead by the age of 16. You believe as far as you know. There are many of you that are suffering for some things. There are many of you that are believing God for some things. There are many of you that are in situations that you'd rather not be in. And you're, Father God, I'm faithful. Father God, I believe. Father God, and the same answer is there for us. We're faithful as far as I know. I believe as far as I know. You've got to expand your knowledge. You've got to expand where you're going with that. And we're going to look into the Word of God. We want to see the examples of people. Who was, who was advanced? Who was held back? Who usurped things? Who took things? And who was given things? How does God give us these things? How do I take them? And how do I practice being faithful? Because if you can put this to practice and you can be faithful, you will get the attention of God. Just like a shepherd boy on the backside of the wilderness, so to speak, got God's attention to become king. How Moses got God's attention in the wilderness taking care of goats. How Paul got God's attention who's out there killing Christians. <coughs> How Peter got the attention of the Messiah. How is it that they got their attention? We need to find these things out. Anybody else want to know what these things are? I want, I want to know what these things are. I want to, right, God, how can I get your attention? How can I get you to look on me and say, all right, this, this one's ready. This one's ready to be moved on. Finally, we, we, got them, we got them there. I want to get myself into that place. So I want to learn some things from the Word of God to help me out in that. Hope you all want to, to learn that too. What is it to be, be faithful? Would you all stand up with me? There are some principles as I was looking ahead on this. There are some principles that will not only help us in our ministry that we do for God, it will also help us in our faith, what we're believing God for. Because just as we are faithful in the things that God has given us, is not faith a thing that God has given us? Does the Word of God not say that to everyone has been given the measure of faith? And yet we want to pray for great faith. But if we're not faithful with what faith we have, <laughs> where's the great faith going to come from? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us to understand your Word. We thank you for the help that you give us to understand why we're at where we are, what we need to do to overcome, what kind of corrections we need to make. We want to be more like Joshua, more like even her who stood up for the things of God, less like Aaron, less like other ones who faltered when they were called to follow instructions and wait. But Father, you can train us up you can help us learn how to stand in the midst of suffering. Storms coming around us to the one side and to the other side. And we don't move. We resist the pressure to conform. But yield to your pressure of correction. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us on this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.